benefit most of us here in this room. You know, the reality is we want to be generous people. When we hear stories like that, we've tasted them personally. And I don't think there's a single person in this room who doesn't. We, we do, just by nature, want to be generous people. Um, but I do qualify it. And I say most of it. Most of us. Because I will show you who my personal hero is in life. It's that guy right there. <laughs> now, now, the real manifestation of Ebenezer Scrooge that I that Ebenezer Scrooge that I came in contact with um, was a pivotal point in my childhood, and some of you might remember the show. It's called Ducktales, right? Okay. And uh, in Ducktales, there was Scrooge McDuck, and if you remember the opening credits scene to Ducktales, it was this this scene that has made a pivotal, defining moment in my life. Because what you might remember is that Scrooge McDuck was wealthy, and he had this vault. Right? And the vault was heaping and heaping with piles of gold coins. It was like this indoor swimming pool thing going on. And Scrooge McDuck had mastered the technique of being able to dive in and swim through his piles of gold. Do you know what I mean? I remember being in seventh grade and watching that tale and watching that opening scene come on again and again and having this moment where I went, Because the cheapskate goes back in the Gedini generations, the third, if not the fourth generation, and my parents have taught me well. So when I say that we want to be generous people, I do kind of qualify it. Because at some level we do. But at another level, we really, really don't. But see, I know what I don't want to be. And who I don't want to be is that. You know, someone entirely obsessed and consumed with his precious things, holding on to them at all costs, until we become this intern shadow of who God has made us to be, this wasting away creature that his only eyes for one thing in life as everything else falls out to the periphery. I think Jeremiah says it best. He says, the heart is a deceitful thing. Who can understand it? What I've come to find, though, is that generosity is absolutely central to who God wants you to be. And I think the reason why is because generosity is absolutely central to who God is. I mean, think about it. It doesn't take long paging through the Bible, right, to just see that the God we worship is a God who is just, just like gets off on it. He is so into giving and giving abundantly. This is the kind of God we worship, and this is the kind of God that calls us to be like He is. Randy Alcorn writes this. He says. It is impossible to become fully developed followers of Jesus without also becoming fully developed stewards of our resources. See, what I've come to discover is that, that God wants us. 
God wants you. And he doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. And that includes the areas of our lives that involve the blessings that he has given us as well. And so to discover what it really means to become a person of God, at some level, we've got to kind of swim in this stream, Scrooge McDuck style, in the idea of what generosity is really all about, because it is absolutely central to the journey of spirituality that God has you and I on. Okay, disclaimer time. The difficulty of talks like this, in this kind of setting, is they always kind of have that, what they call lace, aren't they? they? They always kind of feel a little bit like mixed motive and self-serving and, uh, and, 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 you know, kind of potential conflict of interest thing going on. Because when I say something like giving or generosity in this kind of setting, true, most of our minds go where? Bam. Right there, right? And, and you know, it's not really a... Uh, unjustifiable here. Because I think a lot of us have been burned in, in settings where, where churches just seem consumed with talking about money. And do things like whenever they would talk about things like generosity or giving, it always kind of got turned at the end to this idea of so you better give to church more. And isn't it kind of just like sick and twisted? that if you were to talk about generosity or giving in any other setting besides the church, it would be like this incredible, wonderful, yeah, I want that and I love that and I think it's central to the human experience kind of thing. But then we bring it into a setting like this and because of all that other baggage that happens to be out there in the world, it twists this amazing thing that, that God has devised to be central to what it means to be human something as reductionary as that. You know, I'm here to talk to you today and in these next couple of weeks about this thing called generosity. But I'm not really here to talk to you about that. Um, this is not about funding the church machine. This is not about the offering plates per se. FOF has been so richly blessed this past year. And FOF is doing great in many ways. This is not about that. What it is about is this, that it is impossible to become fully developed followers of Jesus without also learning what it means to be a generous people. With our church? Absolutely. But with so much more than that. What does it mean to be generous with your family? What does it mean to be generous with your friends? What does it mean to be generous with your community? What is your community? Be it your school community, your neighborhood, your workplace. What does it actually mean to be generous with people in needs of this world? And then let me keep one around, okay? Because Jesus would say this. What does it mean to be generous? with your enemies. Because God is a generous God. And there is something so amazing that God has in store for you and me. Calling us into this thing called the generous life. Now, now here's what I find so cool about God. 
what I find is that God meets us exactly where we're at. Let me frame it this way. The problem with talking about God in generosity is that when you go into the Bible and you see God's standards, they are like up here. They are like unattainable, right? Let me just read a few verses to you today. And then I just want you to ask yourself the question, if I'm actually willing to let my guard down, what does this verse do to me emotionally? Number one, from Mark chapter 10. This rich young man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want eternal life. Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says this, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Jesus says, go, go sell how much? Everything. And you, oh, okay, okay, let's just wait. Or how about this? Uh, John the Baptist. He's preparing the way for Jesus, and people are going, what, 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 what do you want us to live? And he says, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. I don't know about you, I don't own a tunic. But I do have a lot of those pants, and shirts, socks, coats, and I got one more than one pair I wanted to. What would it look like that if I owned two pairs of pants, what would it look like if I took that literally to actually take that other pair of pants and share it with someone? What would it look like if I owned two cars to give one of my cars to someone who has none? If I own two TVs, to give one of those TVs to someone who has none? If I have two phones or iPods or computers, to give one of those to someone who has none? And you know, here's just kind of like the icing on the cake. Well, when Jesus turns to these people who are following him, and he goes, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple? Question? It's not duty. Do you hear a verse like that and go, that's awesome! Sign me up! Come on, baby! Let's... Or do you do like that? You kind of get this low-grade anxiety. It just starts to creep in. And it's not unfamiliar territory because we know the passage. So, so we try to kind of like muster it down, but it starts to creep in nonetheless. And with it comes a tinge of something else equally wonderful called guilt. And this low-grade anxiety and this low-grade guilt start to kick in. And instead of this like call of Jesus being something that inspires us and fills us with this drive to go, Lord, I'm all in. Does it kind of leave you like the rich young man in that story? Where you just kind of walk away sad? Because the call feels a little too unattainable. And instead of being propelled towards something amazing forward, it actually has the opposite effect of keeping you at arm's length from the state of inertia instead. If so, it's okay to admit it. What it does to me. Man, sometimes I even wonder if that's what I'm meant to do. But you know what's cool about God? His standard might be like way the heck up here. But we've got a God who comes down here. And what I found that is so cool about God is God who needs you. 
exactly where you're at. You might be sitting in this room and you might be the biggest selfish, intern, gobble-esque person the world has ever seen. You might live for yourself and you might do it with pride and glory that puts the Gadini family to shame. God loves you right where you're at. God accepts you right where you're at and God comes to you right where you're at. But you know what I've learned about God? He's not finished with you there. He'll come to you right where you're at. He says, come on, I'm with you. Come follow me. Or maybe you're in this room and you've embarked on the journey. No. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have begun embarking on the journey of the generous life that Jesus calls us to. I'm here to tell you as well, God is not finished with you yet. Because God is a big, amazing, generous God. And there is something out there on the horizon that God is calling you to as well. And so what we're going to do today is look at this thing called generosity. And learn more about what it means to become the people of God in this way, in every spirit. With our church with our family and our friends and our community and the needs of this world and our enemies too. So, a year ago I shared with many of you an analogy. So think about generosity. Let me move this. And kind of here's how it goes. What I did is I shared with you the idea of a ladder. To view the path of generosity as a path of certain steps because God is a God who's always calling us deeper and higher. Deeper and higher. Now, I think for every single one of us in this room, every single one of us have practiced generosity at some level of our lives. I, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a single person in here who has never shared anything. Who has never given anything to anyone. Never dropped a quarter of a Salvation Army bucket or whatever it might be. But I think for a lot of us, Generosity kind of starts and stays at kind of a floor level where it's almost a random, in-the-moment kind of idea. I'll be generous as I'm moved. I'll be generous as a need presents itself. There's no real pattern or plan. And so it kind of stays at a certain level of being somewhat haphazard and chaotic, and dare I say at times, even victimized. Because if you try to respond to every single need out there, request for generosity that the world throws at us, right? I mean, you're bankrupt in 10 minutes, agree? And a lot of people come to this level and they feel guilty for saying no, but they don't know when to say yes, and they're not really sure what to do. But what I'd like to share with you today is ways to take steps forward in becoming the kind of generous person that God is calling you to be. Now maybe you're right here. Maybe you're at that kind of ground level place. I find for many people, the first big step forward in becoming a more generous person is this. Not that. This. Regular. Becoming a regular giver. 
Because see, here's the thing. God wants generosity to be a part of you. He wants to be a part of your life. And if you ever experienced this in other areas of your life, take like physical fitness or getting healthy. If it's something you just wait to do when you're in the moment, the pounds never really go away. Then in order to kind of engage in a physical fitness life, you have to make it a regular part of your life. You can't just kind of like triple up on Saturday and then it's going to last you for a month, right? You can't just do it when it's like, man, I'm fired up today, let's do it. You can't just do it when someone comes, hey man, you want to go for a run? You've got to take a step to build it in if it's going to become part of you. Agree? The same is true with generosity. God wants generosity to be part of you. What would it mean if when your friends and your family looked at you, one of the first things that came to mind is, hey, I'm really a generous person. I think Oprah Winfrey. How is Oprah Winfrey known? Well, you might know it in a lot of ways. I don't know. I'm not going to get into all of them. But across the board, like her here, Oprah Winfrey Brian Fire is known as being a woman of generosity. Something that's a fiber of the life. And oftentimes the first step is saying, how do I go into a lifestyle mode where giving becomes a part of me? Where every time I get paid, I give something. Or, or once a week, or once a month, or whatever the system is, unimportant. In some kind of regular way, this comes to define me. If you're at the ground level, I want to encourage you today to take that step forward and experiment and experience what does it mean to make your needs a part of your life. Now, the rest of you, maybe you're at the step already. Maybe this is already defining you. Well, God's not through with you yet. See, the next step for many people is to move here. And it's this. To get proportional. What does it mean to not just give regularly, but to start giving in relation to how God gives to you? Because what I find is that giving is supposed to kind of be like a mirror. Like a big, giant thank you note to God, if you will. It's kind of a way of saying, God, I come to realize that everything I have, every good thing, ultimately at some level it kind of stemmed from you. And I kind of want to say thank you in relation to that. Do you know what else I find the proportional thing does? Is that it challenges our own myth that we're more generous than we actually think we are. Have you ever seen some of these studies? University of Nebraska did a study. They asked teachers, how many of you think that you're an above average teacher? Now, how many should answer it? Okay, how many should answer it? 50%. If 50% is defined as average, right? How many teachers said that they are above average teachers? 94%. They did the same study and asked people, how many of you think you're, you're better looking than the average person? How many should it be? 50%, you know how many? It's right around the Now they did the same thing going on with IQ and everything else. They asked it for generosity as well. How many of you think that you're more generous than the average person? It was north of 70%. 
They did a simultaneous study and discovered that less than 3% actually give 5% to charity. Not just church, and all of its totality. The heart is a deceitful thing, isn't it? And each of us here have a propensity to deceive ourselves. But what the proportion step does is it's God's way of saying, instead of just doing it regularly, now set something aside intentionally. Maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's 50 bucks, just regularly. But as God has given you, how do you give in return? Some of you might be right here right now. I want to encourage you today. What does it look like to take that step here? Ask my wife. I'm the cheapest human being who's ever lived. Now, my mom, whom I credit a lot with my spiritual development, instilled in me very early on the idea to give sacrificially and regularly and proportionally to God. So much so that it became a fiber of my being in that way. But you know, you can ask my wife, you know what I discovered? In many ways, I was very generous with God, but an utter cheapskate with my family. Because as penny saved with your family, as a penny earned, guys, are you with me? And my propensity with my family was to scrimp and to save, and it still is, and it's something that I bad. But what does it mean to be generous in that way? Albeit imperfectly, we started doing something. And we had to, for my family's sanity, for my marriage, and for me, to have to take that intentional step forward. Every time we got paid, we put some money aside and we put it in an envelope, and it was proportional to what we made. You know what the envelope's called? Fun and sun. You know why it's called that? Because it rhymes. <laughs> it has no greater point than this. Dave, God is calling you to be generous. It doesn't come naturally to you. So how do you, in an intentional way, take an intentional step forward to be generous in the segment of your life where you are utterly, utterly cheap? Are you with me? What does the proportional step look like for you? With your family, with your friends, your church, the community, or the needs of this world, I want to encourage you, David, to take that step. But maybe you're at that step already, and you know what? And I've done it to you. And the next step that I often find for people, getting up here, is called first fruits. Okay, it's a weird Bible term, but you know what it means? It's an agrarian term, it's a farmer term. It's the idea that you plant something and you get fruit back and you give the first one fruit. And I know you go, well, we're going to be cool. And then, okay, it's a fruit. Just go with it, all right? But it's the idea of saying, I'm going to take the first of what I receive. And I'm going to give that to God. And so the generosity factor, it looks like this. What does generosity look like when it shifts from take care of myself first and then give what's left over to give of myself first? 
and trust that God will take care of me and the leftovers. See, there's a myth out there. And the myth is that generosity comes out of love. My family and I, we, we've known what it's been to be financially well off. And we've known what it's been to be completely fat broke. And what I've discovered is that generosity is not in any way tied to wealth. Some of the most flat broke people are some of the most generous people I know. See, what First Fruits is really about is this. It's asking yourself a question. Do I trust God? And I don't mean just the kind of like a churchy way that we like to talk about trusting God. Do I actually trust that God is real? Do I believe that when he says something, it's actually going to happen? So when he says, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added, do I really believe that a real God is going to answer that in real, tangible ways? Do I trust him? See, generosity is a lot about putting our money where our faith is. It's an act of faith. It's an act of saying, God, it doesn't make sense on paper. God, I don't know how it adds up. God, it scares me to death. Here we are. I'm giving to you first and trusting that you got me. That you're holding on. And for those of you in the room today, those of you in the room today where it isn't adding up on paper, you get this amazing opportunity to see an amazing God miraculously at work every day in your life. And I know that in the day it doesn't feel good. But you are going to get to see a God who does miracles in all kinds of ordinary ways. And if you are down here, to move down to that place and take that step and meet up here. Now for those of you here, God isn't finished with you. This sucks. But there's another step that God might be calling to you. right here. And it's called the tithe. Now the tithe is an Old Testament term. The tithe is an Old Testament term. It just means 10%. The idea was in ancient Israel that they would give the first 10% of everything God had given them back to God in an act of faith, an act of generosity, an act of making it a part of their life as a thank you. But you know what else the tithe is? It's a sacrifice. Because, dang, man, when you start giving 10%, that hurts. You start to feel that, you know, that, that starts to get tangible. There is a lot you can do in this world with 10% of your income if you don't give it to God. But see, we've got a God who gives generously. And not only a God who gives generously and abundantly, but a God who gives sacrificially, don't we? And what does John 3.16 say? 
For God so loved the world that he gave yeah, his only son. God gives in a way that matters. God gives in the point that he feels it. And you know what? God will call us to do the same. What the time is all about is saying, God, do I want to sacrifice for you? Do I want to take this step? Do I want to give to you and your kingdom in a way? That matters to my friends and my family and my community and the needs in this world. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you've been down here and you've been doing it proportionally and you've been doing it regularly and you've been doing the first fruits. I want to encourage you today to risk that step. And maybe the step for you today is that step right. Oh, damn. Here. Hate this. Oh, you guys. Anyway, all right. Now, I want to share with you another myth. And it's a myth that I've been most of my life. And the myth says this. God wants you to tithe. Not even nothing. He wants you to do a whole lot more. I, I lived most of my life thinking that because I tithe, I was fulfilling God's law. I achieved the zenith of what God was looking to do in my life and the needs of this world and the challenges that were out there, if everyone else would tithe, it would just take care of it and it was their problem now. But I discovered that God is not finished with me yet. And for those of you who are tithers in the room, there's another step that God might be calling you to. Alright? And it's right here. It's called extravagant giving. Alright. What does it look like up here? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like up here. It is absolutely terrifying up here for someone who hates heights, all right? But you can't be you. You know, it's like the first time you jump out of a plane. The first time you repel off a rock. It is scary beyond belief, and your heart is in your throat. But there is a joy and exhilaration that comes when you bless people in insane, ludicrous, extraordinary, extravagant ways. Have you ever had those moments where you blessed someone so hard that it literally came out their pores, it shocked them for life, they went into cardiac arrest, and you went, oh, right. <laughs> there is no experience equal in this world to extravagant giving. And for those of you who have learned the master of the time, God is not done with you yet. What lives up here? What is God looking to do in you? And I want to encourage those of you here in this room today that if you're a tiger, take a step. Take a step and see what God has in store for you. All right, I'm getting down now. to go from ground level to the top in one step. Now, some have achieved it. It is not impossible. But for most of us, the step is just too big. Now, even if I try really hard, uh, 
how high do you think that I might be able to get up this ladder from ground level in one step? Do you think that I can get to the top? Do you want to see me try? Yes. Am I sadist? <laughs> Too bad it ain't happening, alright? Yeah, maybe. Alright, I can get to two. Maybe. On a good day. Don't ask me to do it again, alright? See, what I've learned is that God meets us exactly where we are. And though God's standards are up here, God is not a God who teleports. God is a God who walks. Are you with me? God does not just kind of like apparate from here to there. He says, come on the journey with me. No, God is a God who walks, which means one step at a time. What I've learned is it's really hard and sometimes even damaging to try to shift from zero to 60. And so, to understand that the journey with God means one step more, but that it is a journey that never ends. Now, do you know what else I've learned about God? We can talk about all the personal benefits that come from taking these steps, the joy that we'll experience, the blessing that we'll bring to other people, the way that we'll get to see God at work in our lives, and, and the way that God will even bless us in many ways. And you know, in a lot of ways, that stuff's true. Um, and I just say that by experience. But it's secondary. Ultimately, it's not the reason to be generous. The reason to be generous is because, well, guys, let's just be honest here, right? Because it's the right thing to do. Because it honors God. And the results and consequences will be whatever. The generous life is about saying, God, you call me to this. And I want to honor you. And yet, the other thing I've learned about these steps on the ladder is how at every step, God provides. He does. But I've learned that in that walk, God often asks us to take the step and trust Him as opposed to the other way around. And in taking the step towards generosity, what happens is that you get to see a living God who is real and really at work. And you know what else I've learned? safer, it is a whole lot easier when you rely on Jesus to take these steps. Some of us try to just like kind of muscle this over, you know? We just kind of try to do it by our like, real independence. No, there's a God who is there at every step of the way. Rely on Him in this. He's walking with you. And finally, I've learned this. We don't have to walk up this ladder to get to God. God comes down this ladder to us, wherever we happen to be. Because God is a big God. Would you agree? But look at, look at God in relation to the ladder. 
God is much bigger than the ladder. Than any step we can hope to achieve. God is much bigger. Would you agree? And yet look, God is not just up there. God is also down here. And there is just as much of God down here, if not more, than there is of God up there. That wherever you happen to be, God loves you. God accepts you. God is there walking with you. And he calls out to you. Be that person. Take that step. Come follow me. You know, my hope today was really to just encourage you to something. All of us are called to be generous people. And God isn't finished with any of us yet. Each of us can identify with some step on this ladder, with our family, with our friends, our community and the needs of this world, our church, and our enemies. My encouragement to you today is to take that step of God. To take that next step and see what happens in your generous life. Because I'm here to tell you, God has got an amazing adventure in store for you. With things on the horizon we couldn't even imagine or dream. Take the risk.
It doesn't seem practical. Timing doesn't seem right. But God, I pray for each of us here today that we take a step with you. Show us what that is. Show us what it means. Help us to make it intentional. God, you give us so much. We just want to say thanks. Thank you for sacrificing it all, giving it all. Here we are. May we learn and follow. Now God's people said. We're going to come into a time of uh, worship and communion now. We're going to do this a little bit differently than we normally do at FOF. You know, rather than coming up today, we're going to invite you to stay at your seats, but, but, but to rise for this, this time. And we're going to come and worship you together. And not just commune individually one at a time, but to commune together as an act of gratefulness to God. And I encourage you to these songs that we're about to sing. I just kind of meditate on the words and the message about what God has done. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is what I give for you. Remember. I'd like to invite you to rise. In a moment, the ushers are going to pass the bread. Just pass it down and do a take one. If you need a gluten-free, let them know. But hold on to it. Hold on to it and remember and worship and then we'll eat together. When the song is done. Let's sing.